knowing that you were with a group of people who allowed that to happen, let alone facilitated it. And now I'm just pissed. Um, got my mama bear. That's so, they could have killed you. Hello, everyone. It is Monday, May 1st, and shit is wild out there. Welcome to season one, episode six of Luke, Who Is Your Father, a podcast about mystery, scandal, and triumph of the familiar variety. This season, we're telling you about being triplets separated at birth, the trials and tribulations of growing up separately, coming together, and the hunt for our biological father. You can see this episode and all of our episodes and bonus content by subscribing to Luke, Who Is Your Father on YouTube. Follow us on TikTok at Luke, Who Is Your Father Pod at Ricky Jump and at Jules, who is your father and follow us on Instagram at Luke, who is your father at Ricky Jump and at Kenny K 23. We have been so appreciative of your support and would love if you would just take one second to rate, review and subscribe to this podcast and share with a friend or family member who you think would enjoy it, who might benefit from listening or may have a story to tell of their own because we are officially past the midpoint of the season and we are ready to turn the mic over to you for the show in its next iteration. We've already received so much interest, so many stories, but we always need more. We want to hear as many as we can. So you can email us at lukewhoisyourfatherpod at gmail.com or ricky at lukewhoisyourfather.com. We want to hear your stories about family strife, separation, DNA discoveries, unknown parentage, families coming together, just kind of anything that falls within that window. And we think that a lot of stories could be a good fit. And then we actually have a beautiful website created by our very own Kenny, where you can go read our bios, any mentions in the press, and see all of the platforms that we're streaming on. And most importantly, submit your stories. So go check that out at LukeWhoIsYourFather.com. So this is Jules. I'm Kenny. And I'm Ricky. And if you are new here, we are triplets separated at birth and have spent our lives exploring what it means to be sisters and on the hunt for our biological father, which is what this season is building up to. So last week, we really talked about what happened after we met for the first time, sort of how that affected our middle school lives, kind of the difficulties that we all experience and I'm sure you all experienced in middle school. I don't know if that was an easy time for anyone. And then we are going to dive this episode more into our teenage years, where I think the things that were going on in our lives really had more of an effect on our behavior and our relationships with other people. Uh, so if you have not listened yet, go ahead Binge the crap out of those episodes. Come back to us here. And if again, if you haven't listened, we're always going to start with the crazy question of the day. This is my first time doing it, and I'm so excited. And I thought that because we are talking about high school, and this unfortunately is where our letters really sort of start to end because we all got cell phones and we're able to text so in celebration of such a discovery, oh, no. 
The crazy question of the day, Ricky, I'm going to direct to you first. <laughs> what is the craziest text that you have sent to the wrong person? No. <laughs> I have committed this faux pas so many times. Almost destroyed friendships over it. But more frequently texted boys about themselves. <laughs> Whether it was my admiration, my disdain. <laughs> so what immediately comes to mind and probably the most egregious example is I was out with my friend Alex Carberry one night. <laughs> um, she had a friend who was hosting a bachelor party in town. Always a good start. <laughs> uh, I went out with her. We met them. And I took a very strong liking to a member of said bachelor party. God, I think his name was Brian. Brian, if you're out there, I'm so sorry. <laughs> and so we hung out with them for, God, I think it was in the middle of the week too. I think they came on like a Thursday and we were hanging out with them and uh, me and me and Brian, let's just, I mean, I'm assuming that's his name. I don't know why else I would think it was. Uh, really hit it off. And over the course of the next couple of days, started to spend more and more time with each other, which culminated in us sharing a beautiful evening together <laughs> after bars. And I was super excited about it the next day. Thought he was just the cutest boy I'd ever seen up to that point. And went and pulled a bunch of photos from all of his social media profiles to show my girlfriends, text some in the group text, and I sent no fewer than eight, starting with a photo that he had posted on Facebook probably six to eight years prior. Oh, my. And lo and behold, I looked at my phone and realized that I had sent them to him. Eight photos of himself. <laughs> I just threw my phone across the room and was like, no, 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 no. <laughs> I feel like I remember the story. How did you recover? Didn't. Mm -mm. I did not. I picked up my phone, texted him, and I said, well, I think it's pretty evident what happened here. Um, <clears throat> you should take it as a compliment. Just thought you were super cute. Hope you have a nice life. <laughs> <laughs> he he did respond very gracefully. He thought it was hilarious and um, just just took it in stride and didn't give me any shit. And I never got any shit from anyone else. So I'm assuming that is where it lies. But I never saw him again. And never saw him again. <laughs> so. That's the reason that I was asking. Because I think that this is so common. Hopefully not today, but usually when you send a text to the wrong person, you are sending it to the person that it is about. <laughs> Yeah, you Nine have that in mind. Time. You put them in the in the two bar. Yeah. Yep, so, yep. Kendall, what about you? Or have you never done it? I literally cannot think of a single time that I have done this. Are you serious? What? I can't. <laughs> I have no idea. My mind is a complete blank. <laughs> well, that's good. Maybe we give her a moment. <laughs> no, I've been thinking about it this whole time since you asked the question, and I cannot think of a single thing. 
Well, that's perfect because that's crazy in itself that you've never done this. I'm, you've never like meant to talk shit about me or Julianne and sent it to us? Did I do that? No. no. I don't think you did. I don't think so. Not that I recall. <laughs> oh, she thinks we're baiting her. <laughs> I know. I'm like, do you know, do you recall of a story? I can't, I literally can't think of anything. Um, but I'm going to throw it over to Julianne and then I will try Still and think, think of something adjacent maybe, but I can't think of anything. That's okay. I feel like there are going to be some of these that not all three of us can answer. And that's okay. It's really indicative of, of character. Yeah. I think um, in a game of, you know, never, never have, have I, ever. I ever, I will win every time with you guys. <laughs> very, very true. <laughs> For me, it was in high school and, oh, I still feel bad about this to this day, but there was a girl that was in a grade above us and she kind of was a badass lived on the edge a little bit, but I'm sure I had some competition animosity going on towards her. And this was the first time I had ever heard about someone getting their private parts pierced. And I went to Tet and I had heard about it and I thought of it because she was sitting, this makes it worse because she was sitting directly in front of me in class. And I went to go text a friend Oh my God, did you hear that? I'm not going to say her name because of the content. Did you hear that Trina, we'll call her, got her private parts pierced, probably with like exclamation part, you know, whatever, emojis, all of the things. And I sent it to the girl that was sitting directly in front of me. I don't, I don't think there's any recovery from that. Did she turn? What did she do? I think I blacked out. I honestly don't remember. I think I tried to come up with an excuse that was obviously absurdly transparent, but it was, yeah, it was not cool because I don't think we were like really good friends at that point. So I think it was sort of apparent that I was not saying it in an, any form of admiration. You know Dude, what I mean? Dude, it's the, it's the, the recovering that is the most brutal. I can think of one that I just, I tried to recover and all of my friends know to this day that I was just, just full of it. Was that the happy birthday one? Yep, we're not. We're going to move. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I should have given it to Kendall and made, made pass it off like I she should did. have disguised your story as hers. I love of all of the, the shit that you say on this podcast. You are saying private parts. <laughs> Well, I don't want to say the C word. <laughs> She's trying to be less censorable these days. Oh, I listened I see, to the first, I, I listened to episode two and the amount of fuck that flew out of my mouth was like a little bit embarrassing. So I'm trying to rein it in. We actually came up with the idea for a swear jar in here, which I don't think is a bad idea. But so the, the swear jar would be for filler words as um, it's not oh, for actual words. Oh, it wasn't words. for curse words. Oh, no. okay. It would be for filler words. Well, I'll keep an eye on those too. So now that you've had a couple minutes, Kendall, you're still drawing a blank. I, can't. <laughs> I got nothing, y'all. That's okay. So we have to come up with some, some kind, I don't want to say consequence, for something that happens when this happens because it will be inevitable. Oh man, there's like really fun sounds on this soundboard, but I'm too scared to access them right now. Where <laughs> 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 we should just have like a scoreboard or something. All right. Well, I think what has to happen is that 
Kennel has to come up with the next one. Mm-hmm. And it has to be something that exposes her. Yep. You have to expose yourself. You have to expose yourself on the next episode. So you'll be <laughs> asking the crazy question today, and it has to paint you in black sheep light. <laughs> Deal? Deal. I'm still thinking. I'm like, (laughs) I will be thinking for the rest of this episode. That's hilarious because when I tell you what I'll know afterwards, I'm excited. (laughs) All right, guys. Well, I think that is the perfect time to jump in. So last time we talked about our junior high slash middle school experience and how that was all formed today is going to be about our high school experience, which this will be a little bit of a heavy episode for myself and Kendall. And um, it's appropriate the recording on May 1st, which I think it will hit even harder next episode. But May 1st is the anniversary of our, our dad, Kenny Scavo, passing away. And this, our high school experience was very heavily shaped by him being sick. He unfortunately fought a seven-year battle with cancer. And when Ricky talks about her dad being sick and just kind of the decline that he went through and obviously affects her a lot to this day. And the same thing ended up happening to me and Kendall. And unfortunately it was for the entirety of our high school careers, which is there are some of the most formative years I think in your life. So I, I think we should just start off by, so we kind of left off at, um, you know, going through junior high slash middle school, depending on where you're from and what that was like. So Kendall, I think if we open with you just sort of telling us about dad's re-diagnosis, I don't know if there's another term for that and what you remember from that time. Um, I think what I remember is He had like a tingling in his face where he had had the mole removed. And um, so he went in and they uh, discovered that um, it had come back. And so he had to go in and get a surgery to take a bigger chunk of his face out. And then they had to cut into his neck so that he could have um, his lymph nodes tested to see if it had spread. Um, And I just remember after the surgery, uh, he was super bruised up and we asked him how he was feeling and he said he felt like he got hit in the face with a two by four. Um, And it was just hard to see because he was, you know, handsome guy and just looked like he'd gotten the crap beat out of him. Yeah. Yeah. I think for those maybe that are listening for the first time, this was a melanoma diagnosis that he had first gotten in, I think, 2000, right? 2010, 2011, right in there. When he first got that? No, I'm sorry. 2001. Mm -hmm. Yeah. When we were in elementary school, Mm -hmm. right around when we were meeting Ricky. Melanoma, he was Italian, jet black, full head of hair, um, you know, olive skin, and he was a big guy. If there's anything that dad liked to do, he enjoyed himself. He enjoyed his life. He definitely liked to, he was, he was a jolly guy. (laughs) And um, 
So he went into remission and then, yes, just like Kendall said, found out that he was having that tingling, which was so hard because I think so many times when you hear about skin cancer, and I do think that this is important for the listeners, it's a matter of, okay, cut out the spot and that's it. And that just was not what happened. So it was, and the fact that it was a few years after his original diagnosis made it kind of surreal. I think too, that it was um, frustrating. Well, it's frustrating now because they said that it recurred because there were just like microscopic little cells that they missed. And I think these days protocol is to, because he didn't initially have to do any chemo and radiation, but I think these days they cut it out and then you still have to do a few rounds of chemo to prevent this from happening. Mm Um, so it just sucks that like, if he had just, if they had had him do that initially, um, he might still be here. So, but yeah. Um, also with, with skin cancer, there's three different types. I've done a lot of research on this because, um, in high school, you know, you always have to write the, um, persuasive essays. I always wrote mine on tanning beds um because I can't believe I cannot and couldn't believe that people like actually subject their skin to that kind of thing when this kind of thing can happen um so there's basal cell squamous cell and and melanoma and melanoma is by far the worst um so like people hear skin cancer and they don't really take it seriously I think because basal and squamous is so easy to kind of treat yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think I remember hey, this one's going to be hold one for me. Just like you said, I remember when he had his second surgery. And I think that's when they also had to dye him blue to see where the cancer had spread, mm-hmm. I think. And this was at a time in my life, just like we kind of talked about last last episode, where I was pulling away for my parents and was a little bit of a rebel, a little bit of a wild child. So I wasn't that close to them, but I was still uh, very involved in, not very involved, but really liked school and had a really good relationship with Marty Marsh, our English teacher. And this is why I know it was in ninth grade and that we were getting ready to go into 10th grade at the actual high school is that I had actually written, I had taken all of Romeo and Juliet or no, it was great expectations. And I had basically like rewritten it in poem form. And was that was just for an assignment. And I remember Marty Marsh submitted it to some some um, the Elks Lodge. No, no, it wasn't the Elks Lodge. It was that the was Elks in fourth Lodge. grade. <laughs> no, it was, he, it was some school. Uh, what is it? What is it called when a bunch of schools are in a thing? League, district, <laughs> district. She oh. <laughs> was in a district-wide competition, and she submitted my work without telling me, and I actually ended up winning this contest. And I remember telling mom and dad about it, and dad decided that he wanted to stay home because it was right after his surgery, and he was so bruised up and I remember getting on stage to read this poem 
and looking out into the audience and he was sitting in the back row. He came after it started and he left after it, not he like for everyone before the whole performance started or whatever it was. And he left after it ended and he really just came to see me. And I don't know if we ever even talked about it or ever said anything about it, but that's something I remember that even though he was so, so, so sick in that moment or bruised and being in that moment, he still made the time to come see me read. And I just didn't expect that. And I mean, it's something that I've never forgotten since. When he got his diagnosis and had the the surgery on his face and looked bad, do you guys remember feeling scared or quite hopeful? What was going through your heads? That was part of my whole problem. And what we'll talk about this episode, next episode, is that I was never scared. Not one, I never for at never once thought that this was something that he wasn't going to beat and that affected the way that I treated him while he was sick. So I do not remember personally feeling scared. I remember feeling like this is a bump in the road. This is a hurdle, but this is my dad. This is this guy that's larger than, than life. There's no way he's not going to overcome this. Kendall, do you remember feeling scared at all? Um... <clears throat> I think I was scared in the way when you get like bit by a dog and like it doesn't it's not like it doesn't hurt really that bad but then you like see the blood and that's when you freak out so just seeing him um all bruised and stuff I think I was probably scared yeah but I think um I think we did a really good job of like not or trying not to worry until we like knew what we were looking at. Um, and at that time, you know, we didn't have a stage or anything. Um, and everything just seemed super hopeful, I think. Um, plus, you know, we just, we thought he was going to beat it. Yeah. It's really interesting for me. I think I, probably brought this energy a little bit the whole time, but we'll really get to it next episode. Um, but I had a very pessimistic view of it because like up to that point, I had seen one person have cancer and it T-dot, so it didn't... So I think that I sort of had it cemented in my mind that it would be difficult to beat. And I do remember... The first time I came to, to, so we met for the first time and then we met again a year later and we had a giant cinnamon rolls at Johnson's Corner. And then, you know, we read my mom's letter last time where she had basically passed it off as not imploring, but was in fact imploring Tina and Ken to kind of take me under their wing. And if I could visit something that we would both really like. And so this is when I started to come to to visit every summer. And I remember you guys picking me up from the airport and we went and just went immediately to a Mexican restaurant. Uh, and I remember Ken's scar. So it had been, and it wasn't like a healed scar. Like it was like 
the kind yeah. of scar I have on my hand right now, like still pretty. And I remember that sort of signaling to me. Like I was like, oh, fuck, I don't know. And then I think I, uh, every summer thereafter seeing him, it did seem to me like things were like getting worse and worse, but that's not something. Honestly, reading the letters that I used to write in high school, I can't believe I even had the tact, <laughs> but uh, that's not something I would have ever said. It's not something that I even said when it was like go time. I just came. So, but it is something that I noticed was um, when you see a person in failing health, you start to like notice the signs easier, I think. And I was still pretty traumatized by what had happened. So, yeah, I could, when I think about you coming to visit, because it is so, those memories are so great. And to me, it's still, and I think this is something that I do. I don't know if more than us, but more than you two, but I do a lot is my, I'm complete. Those memories are like completely disconnected to me. If you asked me to tell you about those memories, I would not even remember that was, that my dad was sick during any of those times. I do think I, now, I think I remember when we got caught smoking cigarettes in the stairway I think he was really sick and I've never really put yeah it's just really really hard for me because it did it lasted for our entire it lasted from the from ninth grade all the way up until we graduated which is a really long stretch and yeah something that I was very removed from yeah so as a holistic viewpoints. We're all entering high school. My dad has just passed away. I've moved to Missouri. You guys, Ken is not in remission anymore. He is sick again. We're all entering into the most tumultuous time that any children enter into. (laughs) Children. Uh, And all while this is going on, we're getting to know each other for the first time. This is the first time we're ever spending any significant amount of time together because I'm coming for like, oh man, now it feels like probably I stared there like the whole summer, but it was a weeks at a time, probably a week and a half ish. Um, and super, super formative for all of us. I cannot, I do, I would love to, you said a couple episodes ago, like you feel like, Julianne and I have experienced more together than you've experienced with us, which I'm sure is mind-blowing to the listeners to hear because you lived with Julianne <laughs> the whole time. Um, but I'd love to. So we all have the same memory of, of uh, me coming in the first time, never having been in a house like this, bare naked ladies or earth, wind, and fires. That is a band. <laughs> <laughs> For all of you little Gen Z babies. <laughs> I'm sure they still, there's no way that's skating by their radar. I don't know. I hope not. Um, it's blaring through the house. All of the windows and doors are open. Ken is in the back making hamburgers. And that starts our relationship in my mind. Um, but this is when Julianne is acting out because as you'll kind of get into, your parents are spending more and more time away from home. There's a lot of anger brewing there. For you, you're acting in more of a caretaker capacity. So if we were all three spending time together, it was for like a family outing for mm-hmm. boating or going to Young's or going to Vail. <laughs> These things were mind blowing to me. Um, 
But if we're not all together as a family unit, then it's typically me and Julianne off getting into trouble. And you are doing what? Like, what do you remember from that time? I remember sitting at home watching Friends. (laughs) Um, Because, yeah, I mean, and I had, it just felt like um, every other high school kid was going out Friday, Saturday of every weekend. And I had, I did have those nights, but I also felt like I was at home a lot. Um, Cause I just, I didn't know how to make plans. <laughs> and, um, and I think something that uh, our parents always said too, was like, uh, for some reason they, they taught us to not invite ourselves along to do stuff with other people. <laughs> and since then, um, I'm like, I will absolutely invite myself along. <laughs> like, Meanwhile, my mom is inviting me to live with you. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, I was, I was um, at home watching Friends, um, doing my little art projects um, and really kind of building like my art skills, I think, um, which kind of carried through college um, as well. But yeah, just studying, being a good kid, you know? Um, And yeah, I was, it never felt like I was caretaking. Um, I think I felt like I was just doing the same things that I always did with my dad. We would um, you know, watch TV on the couch and we would switch off, like giving each other like back rubs or like ankle rubs and just kind of like hanging out together. Um, so, and like, I would always want to go to the grocery store with him. He would always get me Skittles. (laughs) Um, so I think, uh, yeah, it was just doing that kind of stuff and just you know, studying and binging DVD sets. I was the the original Netflix binger. I think I remember having, um, that was like the first account that I signed up for myself was Netflix when they would send the DVDs to you in envelopes. (laughs) I would just watch them. Were you paying for it yourself? I don't know. (laughs) I don't think it was like very expensive, so I'm sure I was. But yeah. That just made me think of something, which also I think contributes to what, how I was, is that mom and dad always taught us to be very self-sufficient if we could. And they told us that when we were nearing 16, they told us that if we wanted cars for our 16th birthdays, that they would match whatever we raised for cars. And I I did not even realize what a big impact this had until right now. Because I got my first job at Ace Hardware when I was 15 years old. Mm -hmm. And then moved from that to working at Outback Steakhouse. And then moved from that to working at the country club. So these jobs that I took, I was around older kids. And I was around people that were getting into more trouble. And I was exposed to a lot more than I think what you were exposed to when they made that deal with us, which 
I think, did you just go to work at the office? I have no idea. I think my f- <laughs> it all kind of blends together. I think my first job was the sandwich shop. Yeah. That country. Yeah, but I don't think I made any money there. <laughs> I'm like, I'm trying to figure out. I think I used to be much better at money than I am now. Uh, I, I know that I raised a lot more money than oh yeah you did towards this goal. Yeah, because I would uh, we would get like a a twenty dollar a week allowance for like lunch and stuff. So I would. I had like charts where I would be like, okay, I want an iPod. And I would squirrel away my $20 <laughs> a week allowance until I had enough to to buy an iPod. <laughs> um, so yeah, I don't know. I feel like I, I don't know when I started working at the real estate office. So I felt like that was in college. Yeah, maybe. So we're all working at... As 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 soon as we're legally allowed to yes. work, mm-hmm. but what what were you doing? Uh, <laughs> my first job was at. This is so weird. My first job was as a barista in a coffee shop in a store called the Osho Power Sports. So it's like ATVs, uh, big recreational vehicles, gear for that. The occasional trucker car, I think, and then a coffee shop in that Hell store. Yeah. That sounds awesome. It was, it was cool. I did get fired. <laughs> it's my only time ever being fired because um, I brewed the tea and had left the rag that I used to clean the tea thing the night before in there and brewed the tea and served it that day. So they fired me and the same day that they fired me, I totaled my car. So my mom always says that that was like the first and maybe maybe only stint that I've ever had with like true depression. She said I was depressed for like three to four months, just feeling like such a failure. Yeah. Um, that sucked. But and it was a Lincoln Town car. How do you total a Lincoln Town car? <laughs> By driving it into a ditch. <laughs> <laughs> That's a different car. Uh, <laughs> oh. <laughs> no, the Lincoln Town car, I, your dad taught me to drive. Kenny taught me to drive. The mistake that I made with him while he was teaching me was turning left on a green that wasn't an arrow. Yeah. And that's how I totaled my Lincoln Town wow. car the week after I turned 16 turning left to go to Outback Steakhouse where I, uh, where my friends had just started working and turned left on a green, but not narrow and just got yeah. absolutely T-boned. Yeah. That sounds terrifying. Yeah. And then I went to work at Pizza Hut. That's, I was like, there was something, something in there that's telling me. No one joint. out pizzas the hut. This is not sponsored, but we will gladly accept your sponsorship. <laughs> um, but so, yes, Kennel, like, no one super sketchy is working at the sandwich shop. Uh, no one super sketchy is working at Neosho Power Sports, that's for sure. Those are all, like, really old people and then me. And then Pizza Hut was more or less, like, probably the sandwich shop. Like, just just little, cute high school kids. So, Jules, this is where you really get into what will become a recurrent pattern mm-hmm. of a lot of dabbling and 
I think drugs and alcohol and then because you're trying to numb something is what you yeah. have said. I treated my dad like shit when he was sick. And it was because I was mad. I was just really mad that he was sick. And uh, he would, you know, he got to a point where he did go. He went through chemo and radiation, and that was so hard. He had one of those big screen masks that you wear, which is so, it was so scary to look at. And he always had like the best attitude about it. He would take signs into his radiation room, like sneak signs under his hospital gown. And because they were watching him on the camera. So he'd pull signs out of his gown and say, like, turn the music up, stuff like that. But he was really sick. He started to lose his hair just from the, it was so weird. He only lost it from the gear down. So it looks like he had a crew, like military crew cut, even though it was because he was losing his hair. It was the pattern of the, the radiation rays. Yeah. So he had like, it was just from like here down and then, um, it looks like a map. Yeah. He had like a, it was like Texas. Yeah. It looked like Texas. On like the back of his head. So I would have to, to shave Texas off. Yeah. So that it looked more like intentional. And I think I really wanted his attention. This is when I was, I mean, I have, and I don't, I can't really get to the root of this, but I have craved, I guess, male attention for a long time. And I was pissed off at him because I was playing sports and doing all this. And I don't think felt necessarily felt like I wasn't getting attention, but he was very sick. And I would come home from school and he would be in bed and I wouldn't even go say hi. Like go see if he needed anything. And he was, I mean, it got to the point where he was in, in our house on a catheter that in oxygen that sick. And I wouldn't even go say hi. And then I remember I would like bring him food sometimes and he would be really upset that there was something wrong. And that now that I know that when you're sick like that, you just want, you don't want to eat. So when you do eat, you want it to be perfect. And yeah, we just, we were at each other's throats and our relationship was really, really hard. And I think that he saw that I was mad at him and it gave him sort of an outlet to be mad at me because he took a lot of anger out on me as well. We got into some really, really bad fights and stuff that I still remember to this day. So I'm playing sports. I am working. I'm spending so much time out of the house that I'm just completely out of touch. I'm like willfully out of touch with how sick he's getting because it was so hard to see this man that was, my dad was larger than life, absolute life of the party. He was super smart, had so many friends. Everyone at our school knew who he was. All of the parents knew who he was. All of our teachers knew who he was. Other kids knew who he was. And so to just see him kind of wither away instead of being scared or sad, I was pissed off and I was seeking attention elsewhere. And I was working obviously with, you know, bartenders and servers and stuff like that. And that was the first time. And this definitely was a theme that I started seeking validation from older men. And this is like, it's sort of embarrassing. And I just feel 
bad. But I mean, I was dating a 23-year-old when I was 16 who I would literally sneak off to cabins with, lie about where I was going. I was, and then <laughs> broke up with the 23-year-old to date a 27-year-old when I was 16 who was literally taking me out on dates who lived in my neighborhood. So I was going over there and I was drinking. I was drinking every day. And the amount that I was drinking was, I mean, like a fifth a day when I was in high school. Wasn't really doing drugs. I was smoking weed for sure. <laughs> and I just laughed because I was coming home stony baloney a lot of the time. My parents never seemed to really catch on. I'm wondering if they did, but I was more social with them when I was high ever than when I was sober. So I think my mom thought it was, I don't think she knew I was high, but she thought those days were nice because I would actually sit and talk to her in the kitchen because I was so stoned that I was trying to seem not stoned <laughs> and just like chatting your ear off when I would normally would never do that. And so I really was, yeah, just becoming more and more removed and yeah, just living a life that now like I look back on it, I'm like, how was I going to school? <laughs> How was I doing normal things? Because I was doing a lot of abnormal things for sure. No, and like a fifth or anything even close to equivalent of that a day should warrant horrible hangovers, if not Mm -hmm. medical intervention to not be drinking a fifth a day. So I feel like you're, I mean, those survival instincts are crazy because I don't remember ever hearing about anything like that. And Kendall, I think this is really where you come in. I know Julianne said before we started recording that she wanted to talk about the first time that she got drunk and you were there. And then you said a, like quite a while back in an episode that you have a habit still of covering for Julianne, which like all <laughs> to talk about it like this, like all really culminates in like the most recent iterations of our relationship um, because that's still something that you feel inclined to do. And then like Juliana, things that you were struggling with then are still things that you struggle with now. And I would love to just kind of, uh, hear your, your, about that first time drinking for you, Julianne, if, you know, a lot of, um, like you'll hear Dak Shepard or, uh, or, uh, Matthew Perry, not, to, not to compare you to all of these raging addicts, but, um, they say that the first time that they imbibed in something, instead of feeling like um, a person who doesn't have that kind of brain or dopamine response, uh, feeling drunk or whatever, they felt something click where it was like, oh my God, I can breathe. Like, this is how I'm supposed to feel. And I don't think that we've ever talked about if you maybe felt that way when you first drank. Um, but I'd like to hear about you getting drunk for the first time, Kendall, you being there, and then the pattern of, you know, you're hearing but Julianne's dating a 23-year-old and a 26-year-old, and this put you in a lot of compromising positions in high school. So tell I me don't about that. I don't know if she knew those things. Um, yeah, I didn't share. Yeah, I don't know. I don't even know how to explain that. I don't know how many of my actual friends, well, no, they definitely knew. But the first time that I got drunk was in junior high. And I know that my parents were gone for some reason, and it was just me and Kendall at home. And I busted into their liquor cabinet, not for the first time, well, for the first time, not for the last time. And just got like ridiculously drunk on vodka. And to the point where I was like throwing up 
but it was just her and I at home. I think it was a school night. And um, I don't remember anything necessarily clicking for me then. But I do know that I was drinking from that point on. And I feel like more so then, not now, would drink in times where I was really emotional or looking to escape. I don't feel like I do that too frequently now because I know it's a bad idea. But yeah, they, like you said, there was the sicker my dad got, the more that they were away seeking alternative treatment and things like that. And they would be away for, you know, a long time. And I think substance abuse was my, because drinking and just getting super high um, was my way of trying to fit in. But I don't really remember ever talking to the people in my high school about dad being sick, really. I think they knew because they would see him and they would ask maybe occasionally. But I think when I was going out and drinking and all that, getting high and all that, it wasn't well known that this was something that I was dealing with at home. And so maybe I was just doing it to feel more normal or feel like I could like loosen up and fit in. But obviously it didn't always end up that way because it did get really bad sometimes. And I would get to the point where I'm, you know, I'm waking up in the middle of the night and throwing up over the side of my bed or, you know, my friends are bringing me home where Kendall's waiting. And it was, it started to become noticeable. Um, <clears throat> I don't remember the first, I don't remember the first time. Unless, no. Yeah, I don't remember. Um, I think... I think the way that she um, hid from dad's sickness, I kind of hid from that, what you were doing. Because I didn't know about the, the, the guys. I knew, I mean, I knew about the high school boys, <laughs> like, but I didn't know about the men. Um, I I do remember like, a few specific times um, coming home and the entire house smelled like weed. And I was like, Julian, like I went downstairs. She was hot boxing the steam room. I was like, what are you doing? Like, they're going to catch you. Like you, it, she was like, you can smell it. I'm like the entire house reeks like <laughs> the hot boxing is not keeping this like it. Um, and then I remember when her friends brought her home and like poured her out of the car and like took her into the bed. And these are, you know, girls who also drank frequently and they're like, she needs help. But I didn't know how to do that and not get her in trouble, I guess. Um, so, um, but yeah, I think I... I kind of removed myself too because I couldn't do anything about it, and she didn't. She didn't listen to me. Um. So, yeah. But I do remember being. I was DD. I mean, I was. I guess an enabler. <laughs> I was. I was DD all the time, and then I would go and um, <laughs> try and pick her up and 
uh, I would want to try and like play the drinking games and stuff with her friends without actually drinking so that I could like hang out. And, you know, I <laughs> wasn't allowed to play the drinking games because I wasn't drinking and therefore it wasn't fair to the people playing. I had an edge because I was sober, I guess. Um, so, yeah, I think it just kind of furthered a divide a little bit. Do you think... I've asked you guys multiple times. I think I've asked you on the podcast. Um, but you guys, up to this point, don't tend to have substantial conversations or conversations about how you're feeling. And at that time, it sounds like both of you were aware that Ken was sick, but not aware of how bad it was. But like, they were gone a lot (laughs) seeking treatment. It was that bad. Do you think that you were sort of, like you guys were the twins, right? So they're like, there has to be some sort of instinct there or like groove or feel there as well. I don't know. I'm not in either of your bodies, but do you think that part of you knew why she was doing what she was doing and that it was because she was in pain? So you were recognizing that that's how she was coping with it and giving her a pass and taking care of her in that way? I don't think so. I think, um, I think I just saw it as, her like you know being and trying to be cool um I didn't I definitely didn't see it but I think like now later in life um when I've you know made excuses and stuff uh it is trying to be like empathetic to why she does what what (laughs) or did what she did and does what she does but um no, I think in in high school specifically, I think, I don't know why we didn't talk about it. I think it was just too hard and we didn't feel very close. Um, and then afterwards it was just, yeah, it's just sweeping things under the rug. Um, but I don't think I, I drew a correlation to it because maybe because I couldn't relate to it because that's not how I handled everything. I also think, like she was saying, there was not a, it was to an extent that was abnormal, but it was not abnormal for me to be out and drinking. Our high school (laughs) was crazy. Yeah. Like, I don't, I still don't understand how, why, and so many of these situations were allowed to like happen. But yeah, we were, I was not alone in this endeavor. You know, we were partying and getting shit-faced at people's houses that their parents were aware of it or facilitating and things like that. They were like upstairs and they were having these like parties, hangouts or whatever down in the basement with the parents upstairs and like not making sure that like it was like a safe environment at all. If you could go back, both of you, 
and like try to connect in that way. Because I would imagine, looking back on it, you're sad that you weren't closer. What would you say to each other? I don't know. I don't know if... It just... And it's not like we grew up in like a like a family that didn't talk about stuff. So I don't know I don't know why that. I think we did a little bit though. I'm not saying in a bad way. I just don't think that conversations about what was going on were super prevalent. But I remember like I remember they were each like procedure that happened. They like told us about like they were like, okay, so, you know, it spread to his lymph nodes, which means this, which means like it's able to spread more easily throughout your body. So it's this stage, stage four, you know, um, and like, but I think it was, it was very factual um, and then it was also always surrounded by, by like, but we have a plan and it's going to be good and it's going to be okay. And, you know, like we're going to beat this thing. And it was always like, like they were being transparent with us, but like it was always treatable. Tried to present a solution. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if I could go back. I don't know. There's just so much, obviously, pain around it for me still because I do have. Like my dad being sick in high school affected the way that I, and I don't want to say that that's responsible for everything that I did. Obviously, I need to take ownership for that, but I think also when he passed away and the way that I felt about that, because there is so much like shame and guilt that st- is so heavy for me still that I'm st- I feel like I'm still in it. I don't know what I would go back and say because it's not over, I guess for me. So I don't know how to go back and try to fix something that's not fixed. Yeah. I think that, That's been a point of frustration uh, in me having conversations with the both of you is we now know that I've been in therapy since I was like, what, 10? Um, So to kind of pull things out of you before you're ready or not be equally yoked in the way that we're thinking about things and like the conversations that I want to have and like the reactions that I want to get. Um has been difficult at times because Kendall sort of puts up like a protective wall. Uh, Even in talking about like the things that we wanted to talk about for this episode, like I feel a little like prickly because I'm like, well, I've showed up and like said really hard shit and now I can feel the the shying away. And I'm like... (laughs) Am I going to be the only one that's going to show up in this conversation? And then with you, Jules, um, 
we obviously have, have I don't even, um, it's, it's frustrating to see someone who looks exactly like you, sounds exactly like you, uh, first be in any sort of, um, like really impaired state because it's like, oh my God, <laughs> I'm, I'm sure that I've looked like that before. And, uh, but more so to see someone like hurting and know that like you feel um, not more righteous in a sense, but like I have words for that pain and I want you to have words for that pain and I want us to work through it like a different way has been um, an interesting dynamic, but I think it's totally okay that both of you don't know what you would go back and, and say to each other or to yourselves as young girls, but I want us to... I really want us to get there. Um, and you, the whole time you guys have been talking about this, I've been like, fuck. <laughs> because while you guys were doing that, we have a couple. These are our last letters that we get to read. And I'm really sad about that. They've been such a nice narrative device. Um, but uh, the way that you were seeking validation from older men and you were sort of seeking um uh, solace in art and staying at home and spending time with your parents. Uh, we, we said that, you know, my mom and I started going to church when my dad was dying because that's something that people do when people are dying is look to a higher power. So this really starts both of our religious foundation completely rooted in fear, which is my problem with organized religion um, completely fear-based, completely do anything you can to not go to hell, do everything you can to get to heaven, uh, exclude all other religions who believe in some other God, but don't believe that Jesus Christ was, uh, the son of God and died on the cross for his sins. And if you don't believe that, then you're out. Um, big problem with that, because I think that there's something so beautiful to be found in any sort of spirituality and any sort of God. And I think that that particular set of organized religion favors the oppressor. Um, when it starts, it infringes upon basic human rights, love for everyone, which ultimately is what the Bible or Jesus in the Bible at least preaches, right? So I spend my entire middle school and half of my high school career becoming really deeply entrenched in a church group. Uh, Calvary Baptist Church, Southern Baptist, which is about as fire and brimstone as it gets. Um, and I'm doing this because my dad has passed away. I don't have any friends at my current middle school or high school. I find solace in just something different than what you guys found solace in, which was the community of church, believing in a in a higher power and and just working to be good to go to heaven. So we're talking Bible quizzing all the time. We're talking church four times a week. We're talking, now we'll, I would call it a cult um, because we're talking like no talking to people who aren't saved unless you're trying to save them. That has to be your explicit, your explicit agenda out in the world is to spread the word of God, period. Um, and if you have a secular CD or a secular t-shirt, we're going to need you to bring that up to the front of the church and break it or denounce it in front of the church group. Uh, everything happens within the church group. The, the church group leader is quite, I labeled him as affectionate. 
in my kind of recounting in my baby book, which makes me raise my eyebrows quite a bit now. Um, and him and his whole family kind of lead this church group. And it's just <laughs> uh, really oppressive and something that I can kind of mm, fall back on for community solace in this time of need. And so this is occupying my whole entire life. It's occupying my mom's whole entire life. And all the while, this is actually causing me to have a really hard time in high school because I am quote unquote a Bible thumper. I am incredibly self-righteous. I'm not really allowed to talk to people who aren't saved unless I'm trying with a hidden agenda to save their souls. And uh, I got, we were, I was, we were reading these letters before this episode and I got like really heady and sweaty and Mm -hmm. triggered and uncomfortable because I wanted to come on here and say that high school wasn't that bad uh, and that I was just kind of playing it up as a hormonal teenager. And then we started reading through these and I can see that it is. One, because I'm really sad for that girl who was just scared of going to hell. And this is the biggest point of contention between me and my mom now as I have moved away from organized religion and um, Christianity as a whole, just in that being the way, the truth, the light, the only way, and more believe in, you know, spirituality and, and energy bringing us all together in what is still a really nice picture. But uh, our letters back and forth to each other, and we'll read the last of them, there's still like a huge juxtaposition in what we're going through and then the way that we present it in that most things are okay. And then what's most alarming about my letters is when things are clearly not okay. It's really interesting because this church eventually dissolves and it is um, the only place that I have friends. It dissolves uh, while you are a part of it? While I am a part of it. Wow. Because of a huge physical altercation between the youth pastor and the pastor over money and someone's daughter having sex in the baptismal, it dissolves. And the second it dissolves... I get alcohol poisoning. So I've spent my entire high school career preaching the word of God, falling back on this as like my purpose and my solace and the only thing making me feel better and the only way I'm making friends. And the church dissolves and we decide to go to a party because we're like, fuck it. Like, fuck the institution. Like, what can what we do? What have I been doing this all for? Yeah. <laughs> and the party that we go to... uh I asked my friend Travis where it would be. He was like one of three friends that I had in high school, and he was really confused about what I was asking. And he told me, and I got there, and every eye hit me as soon as I walked through the door. And they were like, oh, Ricky Jump just walked in, and she has been spending her entire high school career telling us that we're wrong and we're bad. So let's fuck her up. And they lined six shots of uh, 100-proof Jack Daniels on the counter, and it was— they were doubles and I was 110 pounds and I'd never drank before and I didn't know how. And they told me to take them all at once. And I did. And I remember stepping away from the counter and stumbling already and Travis showing up and seeing that I wasn't okay and being mad at everyone who was there because he couldn't protect me because he wasn't there. And then woke up in the hospital, still covered in my own vomit, uh, still covered in my own urine mom at the foot of the bed, funeral home outside the window. And I just see now 
I was masking in the same way that you guys were with organized religion. It didn't go well for me. Uh, and, and then I immediately turned to something else to like numb that pain that I was feeling. And I want to say the high school wasn't that bad, but those kids that that's that bad. And the last letter that I really want to read, I mean, it'll be from high school and just period is one that I think really highlights um, the, the early onset anxiety problem that we now all have. And we were kind of trying to figure out what this was earlier. And I think that we deduced that in all of these rough times, I must have been talking to Julian on the phone and we have a vague memory of it. Must have been talking about something we weren't supposed to be talking about. Who knows, drinking, boys. And I think I remember a, an adult picking up the phone and listening in and hearing something that they weren't supposed to hear and feeling like we were in really big trouble. And I wrote, okay, I don't really know why I'm writing. I don't even know if it's okay for you to read it anymore. But um, I hope you're not mad. I don't know why you would be, but I feel like I did something wrong. But before I go into that long spiel, I want to clarify something. I didn't want to appear weak or anything to you, but I got... I got to get this out of the way. I feel like dirt crap terrible about the, I'm talking about this boy that I did something with. I know it sounds so goody goody, but it was so wrong of me to allow myself to be in that position, not only because of who his father is, but I learned that it's very wrong to put a brother of Christ in a position to lust after you. And I very inadvertently did that. I told my mom about the whole thing and she's gracious enough to still trust me and not be angry, but I'm so angry at myself. Anyways, through whatever happened tonight, I want you to know that I do not nor will ever think less of you. You are my sisters and I love you with all of my heart. No matter how near or far you are or how close of a relationship we have, I would die for you both and you will always mean the world to me. I'm worried about some of the decisions you've made, but I will not at all get holier than thou and preach at you because trust me, I have made more than one mistake on my own. I have a feeling Tina and Ken are mad at me or tense toward me. I don't know why I just do. So if they are, and I don't get to talk to you guys anymore, I just have to get all of this out. I love you both so much and feel so empty without you. I'm so happy that God blessed Tina and Ken with you, but sometimes I get so mad at him for leaving me to be the one alone, always lonely and wondering what it would be like to have my sisters with me. I know you guys don't get along sometimes, but be so thankful that you guys have each other. If you ever do anything for me, do that because I would do anything to have you both here with me. The only reason I write in these diaries so much is to get away from my world and just to pretend I'm with you. And I'm so flattered that you would trust me with some of the stuff you've told me. And I thank you both so much. I love you both with all my heart. And this paper is like streaked with tears. <laughs> and I know that I went off on a tangent about organized religion and how damaging that is, but this is what I'm talking about. Yeah. Like... I feel responsible for compelling this boy to like mess around with me or whatever, as though that doesn't involve both people and as though it's not completely natural. And yeah, I think that you can really just sense my overall hopelessness about just being in high school and feeling lonely and isolated. And I spent the rest of my high school having a hard time 
and then getting a boyfriend who was in college and then not having such a hard time because I didn't have anything to do with them anymore. And I just hung out with the friends that I had made in the church group that all also sort of um, broke off from that group. Jade, Amber. I love you. And some others. <laughs> Jade and Amber weren't in the church group, but they were friends with my friends of the church group. Um, so I've known them since high school. And those were my best friends all the way through college and still now. But yeah, I think that it's just, I think it's really worth having the conversation about what it did to us to have dads that were so sick and then to, to keep getting bad news and the things that we did to cover that up. Well, real quick, I just... Um... I feel like I don't remember at the time knowing about your alcohol poisoning. This seems to be a common theme. <laughs> um, I find out stuff way late. Um, but I remember, and I I didn't know the full like extent of that story either. And I remember not knowing the full extent of that story, but knowing that you were with a group of people who allowed that to happen, let alone facilitated it and now I'm just pissed um got my mama bear that's so they could have killed you like they literally like I remember um she was at like a point four or something BAC yeah like close to yeah after hours of vomiting and hours of uh, expelling liquid in uh, from every orifice of my body when they finally got a catheter in me. I was at a 0.38. So I would have started somewhere around a 0.5, which should equal death. And I'd, um, I've never taken the time to be sad about it until right now. I've told it like it was a funny story and... You know, I can't blame them for, I mean, I was intolerable for a certain period of time because I was so deeply entrenched in that. And, um, but that's no excuse to nearly destroy someone. And then because they had been rude to me from arrival past that all the way up till graduation. Um, and I had, yeah, like three people, Brittany Barwick, Sabra. Clint and Travis and you'll see even in these letters like there's still strife between me and them because like the pull from other people in the high school to ostracize me was strong and after I got alcohol poisoning the baseball coach Mr. Alvin uh, gathered the baseball team around and he was a pastor and he said I never want to see any of you behave like Ricky Jump Um, she's a disgrace to the the faith uh, and an embarrassment to the school. And it was something that was talked about for a long time. Like it was just my fault and I couldn't, the people were mad because I like, obviously those people throwing the party got in trouble. They were adults. And uh, so just more reason to, make my life a living hell. I could, I remember one day I got up from my chair at lunch and came back and I couldn't sit back down because there was a banana smeared all over it. And they told me to not drive my car to prom or else they'd slip my tires. And um, yeah, I think just being developed at an early age, being an outsider to begin with, then kind of being preachy for a couple of years and then getting a bunch of people in trouble because <laughs> I was plied with what, 
12 shots of Jack Daniels. Um, yeah, I just didn't have a good, good time of it. And I can see now that I was just like bouncing from numbing agent to numbing agent, from self-harm to church to then alcohol, which I didn't touch again for a long time because that was pretty traumatic. But I'm mad too. Yeah, that's hard to to stomach, for sure. And I guess if, to just kind of like bring it back, what would you say to that person? Or what would you go back and change? I mean, I would say to her that it's okay to just be sad and to make mistakes and that you're not going to hell. Um, yeah, I'd tell her that high school really is a blip (laughs) and you hear that in high school all the time. Um, but everything feels so big and it's actually so small and you're going to get the fuck out of there. And one day they're all going to get mad at you listening to your podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but I even, I have this right here. I said, okay, I hate this school. Even my best friend is acting like a hag. I walked in and I was like, guess what? And she was like, what? And I was like, well, I gave my sisters a ring on the telly. And, you know, just being funny. And she jumps in and she's like, you're so gay sometimes. And I was like, okay, whatever. And I told her the whole thing about Winter Park. We had just gone to Winter Park together. Yeah, mm-hmm. nice vacation. And she just rolled her eyes and I was like, okay, never mind. And then... This person was like, gee, Sabre, thanks for ignoring me. And Sabre looked at me and was like, well, Ricky won't stop talking to me. So I just stopped or I just walked off and she whispers in whoever's ear, Ricky's mad at me. And the person said, who cares? And she said, "Um, no one. And she just laughed. So like, that's the amount of like bullying I'm going through from like my best, my best friends. And I say it's official despite my immense fear of growing up. I just want to go to college so I can be with you guys. I'm sick of being a teenager and dealing with other hormonal teenagers. Don't let this freak you guys out or anything, but I would do anything to be with you guys just so I wouldn't have to be alone here and then go home and be alone some more. Yes, it's a lonely life. I'm like 16. (laughs) So having a great time. I think, again, we've said it before, and we will say it again. This wasn't easy for any of us, and I don't want anyone to listen to this and think, oh, they think that they had it so bad. We know that this is not, this experience is not uh, singular to us, and we're not sitting here talking about this, thinking that people are going to listen to it and think that we just had the absolute worst time of everything always. But I do think, like we said, it has been so healing to talk about it because we never have. And we didn't necessarily know what the other one went through and all of that. So I think that opening that line of conversation is so important. And that's why we're doing it because we we want to heal ourselves and obviously want to know the people that people listening can have that experience too. Yeah. And the reason I'm harping on this so much is high school is hard anyway, but I have a lot of people coming up to me telling me that they're 
showing this to their family who's gone through adoption and had a hard time or their family who's made a DNA discovery and had a hard time. And um, I think that hearing, I mean, that's what like, <laughs> right? In AA, you all share stories so that you know that you're not alone and right. you can heal from that. So if anyone can just like use it as the opportunity to close the rift with a sibling, take the time to be sad, uh, take the time to think about what someone else is going through, take the time to think about how you're treating people. It's a big opportunity. Um, I think um, it's tough because I feel like empathy is something that you kind of develop later in life when you have these like life experiences under your belt. And like who needs empathy more than like high school and junior high kids and they can't give it to each other. And it's just like, I don't know, that's so sad that they don't, it's like the hardest time in life, um, but you don't have the tools to yeah. navigate it. But I think with my letters, they're just, they're boring, man. <laughs> I mean, it's like, I just read your letter uh, two seconds ago, so... <laughs> we're getting better about writing back um then I go on to talk about how I, I want to get Ricky a present um but I don't know what to get her so what do you want and then I just basically launch into what I would want <laughs> which I'm like <laughs> uh so silly um yeah, I think I, you said it's somewhere in there there's sort of a tinge of what you were actually going through, but I don't know if you, you can find it easily. I'm, oh, I mean, no, this is the one that had, you know, I said that I was getting braces and I said, um, oh yeah, I said that I got, let's see. Um, I go into like my hair and how I wanted to look like Kristen Cavallari. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I think it's just very indicative of Ricky being more adept and able to talk about her feelings and us just not doing it at all. Yep. Literally at all. No feelings in here at all. <laughs> I think, uh, let's see, at one point I said, uh, yeah, I was talking about, because I always felt left out because I felt like you guys had all these boys and I was never, I like had really weird crushes. Um, weird being that, uh, I was weird about them. <laughs> and, uh, I've said no boys yet. There really are none at my school. I'm sorry. High school sucks because you got to go to high school before we did. Um, but I'm determined to make my experience amazing. And I was like, I did not make my experience amazing. <laughs> that uh, that dream did not come to fruition. Um, but yeah, I think these are all, it's all just very surface level. Um, but, you know, we did do the trying to learn about each other, like my favorite color and song and band. Uh, which I still stand by a lot of shit. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a creature of habit. 
Yeah, so I think what we're working through here on the small stage, <laughs> we've got Kendall's sense of detachment and isolation and always like waiting for something. We've got you, guilt, shame. And we've got me just constantly trying to like force things together in a nice way and behaving oftentimes out of fear, uh, which can then become like obstinate. <laughs> so I think that's um, what I'm sad to, to say goodbye to and kind of moving away from focusing so much on growing, growing our sisterhood, getting to know each other through these letters. And next week, we'll obviously talk about Ken ultimately passing away and what, how that shaped us all moving forward, but specifically you too. And then kind of moving into college and more of, <laughs> more of the same, but worse. Um, <laughs> And I think this is what everyone's kind of waiting for. And when I tell people about what we're doing now and what we found out and what came after, uh, this feels like the bow on it. I think that we finally have like a light at the end of the tunnel or something that we can point back to and be like, oh, this is what it was all for is to be able to go through that pain and tell that story and then um, come out on the other side together. I agree. Yeah, I think we're doing a good job for ourselves. <laughs> Hopefully for you guys. <laughs> Definitely for ourselves. I don't know really if we have a palate cleanser. That's okay. And I think that's going to be it for us today. Do we have time for a quick palate cleanser? Because we had a, a bit of a, a request from a longtime friend um, post the hamster Basking in the sun story. Um, so to refresh your memories, Ricky's dad, Lee, took her hamster out into the sun to get warm. And then yeah. he ended up being microscoped to death. <laughs> you know, a little barbecue. <laughs> um, I will preface this by saying we are all very much animal people. <laughs> like we love animals. Um, there was a time when we were visiting my grandma and grandpa in Arizona and they had a bird happy ha sunny sunny it was sunny the bird um and <laughs> we decided we wanted to teach sunny how to fly i don't think fly i think they knew you knew how to fly <laughs> but no, to like fly around and come back and land on you maybe maybe but i think he had like well, I think we thought he had his wings clipped or something. I don't know. So that he couldn't Why fly. would we be able to teach him how to fly? <laughs> I, don't know. I don't know. But we, so we take Sonny out of his cage. We go into the living room and I'm looking up and I say, you know, Dad, do you think we should maybe turn off the ceiling fan? And Dad's like, no, it'll be fine. I don't think he'll fly that high. Um, <laughs> Immediately upon release, Sonny flies straight into the ceiling fan, zooms off, hits a wall, slumps down, the like literally slides down the wall like in a cartoon. And 
is on the top of the dresser and my grandpa goes, picks him up. He's like, I think he's just stunned and puts him back in the cage. He's like, he'll wake up eventually. I went out because I thought dad was upset. He was sitting by the pool. And his and shoulders he- were shaking. <laughs> and he was just laughing his ass off. He thought it was the funniest thing. That was a good palate cleanser. R.I.P. Yeah. to Sonny and R.I.P. to, what was his name? Henry, Henry, Henry man, life's truly marked by tragedy. <laughs> well, guys, I think that that was a perfect ballad cleanser, and I think that we are signing off. So in the meantime, we hope that you leave feeling a little bit more normal in your own family dynamic, excited for the possibilities, and more curious about the world around you. Have a good week, take things in stride, and leave people better than you found them. We will see you next time. Thank you so much to Scribe Media for production and to Herzo for original music. And we will see you next time. Bye. Bye.